Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark. Uncover my notes. Chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. If you'd like to read along, that's on page 719 in your pew Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware and keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. And our second reading is from this first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Listen again to God's word. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. May God bless this reading of the word and to our Lord be all glory and honor forever. Amen. We're human. Just thought I'd let you know that. And everything about us is constantly seeking explanations or understanding, including the things we don't understand and can't explain. And that's not bad. If somebody hadn't been curious and wanted to find out why we get headaches, and inflammations, we probably wouldn't have aspirin. If somebody hadn't been curious about how would steam provide energy to propel something forward, we wouldn't have engines at all. It takes curiosity. And those questions were answerable. We are stewards of what God calls the gospel. It's our job to take care of it. Not only to live it, but to tend to it and make sure it survives. So I want to share with you a little bit, a little something about what it means to be a steward. Because we talk about stewardship not about the money and all like that, but stewardship that includes our time and our talents, all of our efforts. So listen carefully. I can't remember which dictionary I got this out of. I hope it was Funk, funk and Wagnalls. This is a steward, a person put in charge of the affairs of a large household or estate, whose duties include supervision of the kitchen and the servants, management of household accounts, etc. An attendant, as on a ship, train, etc., employed to look after the passenger's comfort. That's a little closer. I think this one's the best one in terms of what we're discussing this morning. A person morally responsible for the careful use of money, time, talents, and other resources, especially with respect to the principles or needs of a community or group. 
Now that's a good one. That sounds like us. If it's not you, we need to visit. So we've got an idea what stewardship kind of means. But 1 Corinthians, is Paul is telling us that the wisdom that we deal with in terms of the gospel is not the wisdom of this age or of this world. It is a wisdom that is mysterious to us. And on top of all the things we have to be stewards of, we also have to be stewards of God's mystery. We cannot allow that mysterious aspect of our relationship with God to get lost in the minutia of finding explanations, of making definitions. We are responsible as stewards of God's truth. And one of those truths is that God is mysterious. If God was, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Rational thought and mystery are not mutually exclusive. Do you ever think about that? Rational thought and mystery go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. We're always going to be looking rationally for some kind of an explanation, some kind of an understanding. And without mystery, we wouldn't need rational thought. Wouldn't be any point for it, because we'd know everything. Rational thought is good because it's the one strength that kind of puts us ahead of other beings on this planet. Rational thought is what leads us into the mysteries that abound and discovering answers to questions we need to answer. Rational thought, although some of our brothers and sisters run screaming into the night at the mention of it, especially with regard to God, they're totally uncomfortable. We look for evidence, don't we? Okay, uh, we apply sometimes a scientific method, looking for objective reality as best we can. And we try to come to reasonable conclusions based on the evidence we find. Now, sometimes the evidence we find turns out to be bad evidence in time. Right? Doctors used to prescribe cigarettes. Doctors used to hawk them. See, doctors in a Marlboro ad, I think the, now that didn't happen for very long, but it did happen. I think Marlboro made the right decision when they went with the cowboy, but that's just about marketing. And sometimes we run across something for which we cannot find an answer yet. Neil deGrasse Tyson said the one question that, that intrigues him the most and that he wishes he had an answer for before he leaves this earth is we know so little in so many ways that we don't even know some of the questions we need to ask. He says, I want to know what those questions are and I never will. 
If you search scripture, some people will tell you that everything is explained. It's all right here. You get out your Bible, you open it randomly and pick a verse and that verse will give you your answer. I did that once and ended up in numbers among the genealogy of the Hebrews. I don't know what Melchizedek had to do with the question I was asking, but that's when I learned. But we've worked out elaborate systems for predicting the second coming of Jesus. And those of you who've been here a while know this is one of my favorite rants. I love taking these people on. The temple has to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, you know. The conflict in the Middle East is a sure sign that the world is ending. I always thought it was the ice capades. The European common market is actually the Roman Empire, which is actually the beast spoken of in the book of Revelation. There are flying locusts with scorpion tails. That's got to be helicopters, right? <laughs> and they still haven't explained to my personal satisfaction the presence of the demonic frogs. I can't even envision what a de demonic frog would look like. But Jesus tells us in our reading from Mark this morning, only God knows that. Only God knows when all of this is going to happen. Only God knows what all of this is going to be. And I've told you before, I'm kind of with Calvin and Luther on the idea that Revelation, maybe we ought to put that in the Apocrypha. It's, a, it's, it's very strange. It's fun to read, but it's very, very weird. So Jesus says, nobody knows when I'm going to be back. Well, why can't we all just leave the second coming alone? How hard is that? How difficult is it to understand when Jesus says, you don't know, and you can't find it out? That's one of the mysteries of our faith. And even though we would love to have an answer, maybe I don't think I would, we're still stewards of that mystery and defenders of the fact that we don't know, and all those people who do are 100% wrong, and always have been, and always will be. Actually, I think that taking upon ourselves knowledge that Jesus said he didn't have is blasphemy. And I think those people better be careful. They know not what they do. But it has created a cultural obsession among Christians to know what even Jesus didn't know. Curiosity is fine. But Presbyterians, us, we're not obsessed with the end times. You know why? Because we, just like our Reformation ancestors, understand and accept that some things in this world and the next are known only to God. And we might also know, I suspect most of us do, 
that a lot of that information is best left in God's hands. Look what we did with what we, humanity did with Revelation. What do you think we'd do with something bigger than that? Jesus just tells his disciples, us, to be prepared. Live faithfully. Do what I'm telling you to do the best way you can and trust God's grace for everything else. When the end is coming, that's not for you to know. You don't need to know it. I don't even know it, he says. So quit obsessing on it. But the cool part about being Presbyterian is that when there are mysteries, we're okay with that. Anybody here have a, a really all-encompassing definition of the Trinity? <laughs> if you ever come up with one, write a book. You will be billionaire. Because even after all these years, we're still not quite sure what language to use to describe it thoroughly. We can get close, but it's not an easy thing to define. And there are some things we have explanations for, and those things can become doctrine. And sometimes we're right. But sometimes we're also wrong. Think about this. How are we saved? We'd say that again. Through grace, by, by grace, through faith. Drill that into your heads because I guarantee you every young person who has left this place after confirmation, they can at least answer that question because we drill it over and over and over. Do bread and wine literally become the body and blood of Jesus? Not for us. Not as Presbyterians. The Gospels, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, aren't those the lens through which we read all the rest of Scripture? Yes. When it doesn't make sense, go to Jesus and do the best you can to figure it out. Doesn't mean you'll come up with an answer. You may still be stuck with mystery. And anyone who gives you a theological answer that doesn't, uh, that doesn't force out more questions is the wrong theological answer. Do we have private baptisms or private communion? No, we do not. Why? Because it's an act of the entire church. Now, we can take communion to people who are shut in. That's no problem. The session knows that that's something that has to be done, and we always have an elder go with us to represent all of you and the rest of the church worldwide. In all ordained ministers of the church, ministers, elders, and deacons, we promise in our vows to maintain the peace, unity, and purity of the church. The first two, I think, are kind of self-explanatory. I've always had a minor scruple with the purity part because churches, just like any other institution, are full of human beings, and how many pure people do you know? 
Besides that, our doctrine is not pure. It's as pure as we can get it right now. But remember, part of our ancestors' doctrine was that black people did not have souls. And they were wrong. So that's why we call ourselves reformed and always reforming. We're always learning new things. And I hope we grow from the things we knew. It seems to me in part that maintaining our doctrines and practices is a part of maintaining the purity of the church. It doesn't mean the church is sinless. It doesn't mean the church is never going to do anything wrong. It just means we're free to be wrong, but not to do wrong. Being good stewards of what we believe and how we live our beliefs is part of maintaining our doctrines and our practices. Those are important. And I also think it means being good stewards of that mystery. Acknowledging it. I, I may have told you this before. When I was Catholic, uh, I always enjoyed Mass. It was incredibly dull, except that one part where they say the Mass. And I always thought that was beautiful. And once in a while, not, I would not want a steady diet of it, but once in a while I kind of miss high church. Because it does project some of the mystery back at us. And we lose that. We're very rational. Presbyterians have always been fairly rational people. But the wisdom of this age is not enough to explain everything, especially when it comes to God and faith. God's wisdom is to leave some things as mystery. And it's probably better that way. Remember the story of the pecan trees and the fish? Mm -hmm. yeah. I oh, okay, thank you. That wasn't rhetorical. And some of you don't know it, but if you want to ask me later, I'll tell you about the, pecan, the fish perching in my pecan trees back home. <laughs> I don't have an explanation for that. Short story, there were fish in my pecan trees. I, and Scout's honor, that is the truth. But it's a lot more interesting and a lot more fun as a mystery, isn't it? How'd they get there? Why were they there? Was it an invasion or an infestation? I don't know, but perch in my pecan trees. Where God is concerned, all of this is not about fun or interest. It's just about God being God. And God is mystery. No matter how much we know about God, there's way, 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 way more than we can even conceive that we do not know. God wouldn't, I think, if God was not mysterious, would God even be worth worshiping? If we could encapsulate God in our own understanding, would God even be a God? I don't know, but I suspect not. No one comprehends what is God's except 
the Spirit of God. And some things are known only to God. They're mysteries. And we're stewards of those mysteries. And when asked who God is, sometimes I don't know is the only answer we have that has any honesty to it. Part of the mystery that we are stewards of is that we are creatures. We are not our creator. And what is known only to God is known only to God. And that's a good thing. Mystery propels us into the unknown. Mystery is what pulls us beyond the bounds of our own courage into places we've never been before. And mystery is also something that should pull us into closer relationship with this God we don't understand. Amen. Come let us stand and say who we are to whom we belong. God's sovereign love is a mystery beyond the reach of the human mind. God reveals his love in Jesus Christ by showing power in the form of a servant, wisdom in the folly of the cross, and goodness in receiving sinful people. The Redeemer is the Lord and Creator who made all things to serve the purpose of his love.